Welcome to LOA Today. I'm Walt Jason. With me today is financial advisor and money coach, Jody Lynn Craven. This is your daily dose of happy. We are so happy you decided to join us today. And Jody Lynn and I are joined by Todd Anderson, who is a career military guy with a really cool set of career paths that have kind of uh, branched off from what he was doing for some 25 years. He's going to be telling us a bit about that today, including uh, some stuff that he's doing in the private sector, shall we call it, <laughs> after 25 years uh, working for, for uh, government-type agencies and continuing to do so in his day job today. He's becoming a, he has become a podcast host, he's becoming a coach, um, and he has an interesting take on the world of how to have the kind of successes you want to have. So we're going to learn a little bit more about that today. But Jody, first of all, nice to have you back. I, I'm sure yes. you're excited being back again. Um, of course. I'm loving having you on the show too. And we're going to have a lot of fun today um, talking not just with Ty, but we're going to do a little bit more of that Q&A we were doing last time. So that's going to be fun. Um, and then Todd, I, I want to bring you on. First of all, welcome. Second of all, thank you for being here. And third, you were telling us this is your first time to do a live stream. That's pretty cool. Absolutely. My first time. Thank you for the opportunity. I really enjoy it. I've been doing my podcast for about a year and a half now, and this is my first time jumping on as a guest on somebody else's show. So good for you. I appreciate the invite. Oh, glad to have you. Very glad to have you. Tell us about what, yeah. what got the whole thing started in terms of doing a podcast. Interestingly enough, for years, I wrote a blog. Uh, I didn't post it as a blog. I sent it out as an email. Basically, I would tell the adventure of the week because it started back when I was teaching the Afghans how to fly uh, back in 2010. And I actually wrote a book about that and self-published it on Amazon. And But it was a, a book where I would tell the adventure story of the week of here's how they tried to kill me this week, <laughs> followed by... Followed by the spiritual growth that I went through that week in my studies and everything. Because I was gone for a year. And then I was also gone from my family for about 22 months. So it was a long period of personal growth, personal study. And I shared that experience with friends and family in the form of a blog. And I thought that it would be good to eventually change to a new medium to go into podcasting as I saw that that was the new blogging. And I didn't plan on doing it when I started it. I was not going to do any of these things that I've started and jumped into until I retire from the military. Um, and I'm about a year out from retirement. But then I was thinking and praying and, and just listening to my intuition uh, about a year and a half ago, and I got that prompt, that push to start it now. So I said, okay, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm learning as I go. But uh, as so many of the motivational speakers and everybody else says, the law of attraction, you need to move when you get the that inspiration. So within three weeks, I had launched my podcast, and I've done over 100 episodes since then. And it's just been fun. I get to meet great people. Sometimes I do it on my own, but all with the goal. And that's what my blog always was. The goal of helping other people design the life that they want to live and not just be secondary actors in, in their life, but actually be the main character. That's excellent. Mm. And I'm glad that you actually took the bull by the horns and just started to do the podcast rather than doing what so many people do. They think about doing a podcast and they think about some more and they try to do some planning and then they do some more thinking about it. And then they're trying to figure out how the technology is going to work. They aren't really sure how it's going to work. So they ask a friend. The friend doesn't know. So they take a course and then they take another course and they get a coach and, and the podcast never gets launched. You oh, launched yeah. I've, <laughs> I, you know, exactly what you said. I read about people doing that. And I was like, I'm not going to do that. I'll figure it out as I go. Jesse Itzler says, if you have a, um, a desire to do something, jump in and learn as you go. And so have that's you what always I've been, been doing. that way. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> I'm 
pretty much. <laughs> I think that I think that's a, a skill that some people need to acquire that just jump in. Like, I don't know what yes. I'm doing. I'm just going to jump in the water and try and swim. That terrifies a lot of people. It does. But the the amazing thing about when you live your life that way is it releases fears. It releases boundaries. It releases limiting beliefs that you have. And yet you have to take that first step and you're afraid. I'll admit I was afraid to take that first step, but years of practice of just doing it anyways, you take it and then it's like, oh, it's not as bad as I thought. In fact, I'm having fun and I'm having fun learning these and I'm getting to meet new people. And I've made some great friends so far doing this. And that's where people, I, I think people that don't take that step, they miss out on some amazing experiences in life. That's a great way to Agreed. express it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like that a lot. And it's true. I mean, well, I was still learning the lesson even after I launched the podcast, to be perfectly honest. I'm I mean, still learning. I mean, I, I, I'm still learning the lesson of take that step anyway, when you're not feeling comfortable about taking the step. Mm-hmm. And I'm getting much, I'm much better than I was even five years ago, let alone 10 years ago when I started the podcast. But I mean, it took years of doing the podcast after having taken a step to trust taking a step again. I mean, it's just when that stuff gets ingrained in you, it can be hard to undo it. I think it's something that we have to constantly relearn if we're not always challenging ourselves and we're not pushing our boundaries and pushing our comfort zone. Cause that's really what it is, is we take that step and then we build a new comfort zone around us and then we're happy there. And then if we're not constantly pushing that and trying to get through that comfort zone to a new next level, then we, we do, we forget how easy it was and how hard it was. It's kind of like giving birth, you know, women said if they said, if they remembered how painful it was to give birth, they'd never do it a second time. But thankfully, the brain allows them for, to forget. Well, mm-hmm. sometimes taking that step is painful for people. But you form a comfort zone around you. And then when you're ready to move on, you're, you're re- ready to take that step again. And you, and, but you have to force yourself to take it. So yeah, take you, that it, leap of faith. Yeah. Yes. And, and you've done it before. This isn't the first time you've taken the leap of faith because you're a pilot. I mean, that takes a leap of faith the first time you do that. I started flying when I was 15. I told my mom I wanted to fly. She's like, okay, I'll take you. Um, but she didn't really believe me. Um, <laughs> then I got my pilot's license by the time I was 21. And she started to believe that maybe I would do it. Then I joined the Air Force. <laughs> not in a non-flying enlisted position, finished my degree and got picked up as a pilot in the Air Force. And then she believed that maybe I was going to make flying a a big part of my life. (laughs) But because people will doubt you. People want, even when you're taking those steps, people aren't going to have the same vision you have. And so that is another barrier you have to overcome is... I think that's the biggest barrier people have to overcome. It's not the, how am I going to do it? It's the, what will other people think of me? Mm. Yes. Did you have to overcome that for yourself? What you decided to become a pilot? Um, no, because I had made the decision I wanted to be a pilot when I was eight and I watched Top Gun for the first time. Ah, okay. <laughs> so that was an easy decision for you. <laughs> It, it was easy. And then after going up and flying for the first time when I was 15, I was hooked. The, I saw a joke meme uh, a while back in, funny enough, in the latrine that they, at a flight school. And it said, give your child the love of flying and you will never have to worry about them doing drugs because they will never be able to afford them because they're trying to afford <laughs> I think you could also say that about horses. That was yeah. my background. Yes. Exact sure. same thing. <laughs> oh, I love horses. horses yeah, but they're an great. expensive hobby too. <laughs> yeah, I, I I couldn't own one. My wife says I can't own one unless uh, uh, I make enough money to have somebody else take care of it. Smart woman. Smart woman. 
I like her already. Yeah. <laughs> but I started taking care of a lady's horse when I was 12 in order to uh, pay for riding lessons. So, uh, wow. I love horses. Todd, when I was like 14, 13, somewhere in there, my, we, I came from a family of chuck wagon racers. So I oh. convinced a guy that raced on the track to, that I would do all the grunt work if he gave me a team when I turned 16 and I could actually drive. And, and that's exactly what I did. That's awesome. Yeah. <laughs> that is awesome. There's always a way, right? <laughs> yeah. I, I traded mucking stalls for riding lessons on an Arabian. So. Beautiful. And gotten to ride a lot of different times over the years, and it's all from that initial. Some to go back to you know how you're you never know where your steps will take you, right? So that initial trading of manure mucking for for riding lessons when I was 12 years old has allowed me to have a skill that I've used off and on throughout the years to have fun with my family. And be able to, when we were in Iceland last year, we we rode some Icelandic courses. And they're like, you guys have have ridden a few times, right? Yeah. So we were able to take these horses at gallop because they hadn't been ridden all winter. And they wanted to, to break them out. So they would let us, they let us gallop all over the place. Nice. Um, and it was so much fun. Had we not had the experience, we couldn't have been able to do that. So all started from way back when, when took a leap. You know, so you never know where those choices are gonna are gonna take you in life. So true. And the choices that you made in life have led you some, to some interesting uh, destinations, or not so much destinations. I guess way stations is probably a better way of describing it. And one of the, one of those way stations is the podcast. The second one is that you're developing a coaching business. Tell people about the coaching business for a moment. So I just I just launched fireandicementoring.com. Um, it's fire and ice coaching, and it's the title is based from the book, and it's meant to go along with the podcast. The whole point is to help people design the life that they want to live. And so it's geared towards business owners that feel like they're hitting a wall or a limit and they want to break through that wall. It's geared towards people that they want to work on personal development, but lack a little bit of that self-esteem to break out of that bubble. It's, and it's geared toward especially those people that have limiting beliefs and self-esteem issues, but have big dreams. And so my experiences over the last 30, 40 years have taught me that, that there is nothing that can't be overcome with, with a good plan, some thoughtfulness, and busting down those barriers, namely getting out of your comfort zone. That's really good. I, I love you made reference to um, limiting beliefs that some people have. And my reaction was, is there anybody who doesn't have them? I mean, seriously, <laughs> <laughs> if you're breathing, you have limiting beliefs, right? That's right. <laughs> if you've been alive for more than five minutes. That's right. <laughs> hey, I, I know with everything that I've done in my life and all that, I know I still have limiting beliefs on finances. I know Jody, Jody, you're, you're, you talk about finances and you know, my goal, my dream, my goal is to be a millionaire, but I know that I have a mil, a limiting belief about that. So that's something I'm working on as I, as I'm helping other people. I'm also helping myself. We all have to constantly work on that. Mm -hmm. Always in this evolution process, right? Yes. Good description. Todd, I've got a question. You you teach um, you know, self-esteem and you know how to bust through your limiting beliefs and stuff like that. And I and yes, everybody has limiting beliefs. Self-esteem, 
you know, I, I think that a lot of times what we teach is what we've had to go through or struggle with to understand and that, you know, helps us teach. But I can't imagine, like, just looking at you, you seem very confident. Um, did you have to deal with that self-esteem esteem stuff? Or, you know, is that just something you watched others go through and were able to pull them out of? Or I'd love to hear more about your journey on that side. Yes and yes. So it's it's a, it's an interesting thing. Um, I'm a pilot. I have a very high self-esteem. Sometimes my wife would jokingly say narcissistic, but without actually being narcissistic. Pilots just are very a can be A-type personalities and are very sure of themselves because mm-hmm. everybody on the plane is putting their life in our hands every single time that we fly. So you have to be very confident in yourself. But when I was younger, I was my older brother's slave. I was the weird one. I was the goofy one. Um, as told to me by my older brother, not to, not to knock him, he wasn't a bully at all. It's just we had 180 degree out personalities. And so when we hit middle school, he thought I was weird. I thought I was cool. Um, he was part of the cool club. I was not. And I just, I, I had to learn at a, at a young age to be comfortable with who I was. And as soon as I learned how to be comfortable with myself, I broke that limiting belief and that, that self-esteem issue that I did have for a few years. Um, and then it's come back off and on though, throughout the years, as I get into different units and, you know, we've moved so many times. I've not built close friendships in a lot of places. And so you always have, I like to say you have a devil and an angel on, on each shoulder. And, you know, you've, we've all heard the discussion about the wolf. There's one wolf that, that wants to tear you apart and another wolf that wants to feed you. And whichever one gets stronger is the one that you feed. And every so often that that devil or that negative wolf will get in there and say, you know, people just don't like you. You're just kind of weird. You're a little bit different. You're not the normal guy. You're definitely not the eight, the typical pilot. You're and all these things, blah, 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 blah. And I would have to overcome those again. And now for me, that may be a much quicker process than for, for other people. I mean, I've never been down for that long, but I do understand when others are going through that. Um, mm-hmm. I think God blessed me with a little bit of empathy to be able to understand others' emotions and see what they are going through. Um and I've had to experience a little bit of everything in order, which has helped. Even though I don't experience the worst of the anxiety, I've had anxiety. Even though I haven't had the the worst of depression, I've been depressed. Mm-hmm. And, and so having little experiences allows me to understand what some people are going through. Yeah. If that answers your question. Definitely. Absolutely. I think that's magnificent. I mean, you were so young to go through that the first time and just decide I'm going to be comfortable with myself. I like who I am. I think, you know, there's a lot of people in this world who are 70, 80, whatever, and still don't feel comfortable in their own skin. I know that took me a long time to be comfortable in my own skin. Sure. Well, that's one of the things I really try to help people with and to understand, because I think Poor self-esteem and not being comfortable with ourselves, which is part of poor self-esteem, is really a root cause of about 90% of the issues, both mental and physical, that people go through. And (laughs) (laughs) she's not comfortable. (laughs) She's got to get comfortable. (laughs) And so so they uh, it's about 90% of what we all go through is the root cause. And I like to to dig out the root cause and then help people to overcome the root cause, not just symptoms. Mm-hmm. That makes and, sense. And, 
I think everybody can build a really good self-esteem when they learn just a few, a few little things. It, it's not rocket science, or as we like to say, it's not rocket surgery. <laughs> Merging the two together. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Actually, you're touching on one of my two favorite subjects that I like to combine together. And Jody, I'm not sure if I've done these two with you, but I've talked about it a lot on the show. Because um, I agree with you, self-love, self-esteem, that's like one of the key components. It's one that gets overlooked more often than not, a lot more often than not. Um, but there's also another component that I consider to be equally important, maybe even more important. Um, and that's what I generically call social connectedness. How connected are you to people? And, and the, uh, I, I've cited this many times, so listeners have heard this, but um, you haven't heard it, so I'll tell you. Uh, there was a study that was done by one of the leading spokespeople in the positive psychology movement, Sean Aker. Um, and the study he did at Harvard University, um, he was trying to identify what it was that made Harvard students either succeed or not succeed. And he did this huge study, lots and lots of questions, and he couldn't find any correlations except for one question that he threw in at the last second as kind of an afterthought. The question had to do with social connectedness. And when he added it all up, when he did all, combined all the data together, he found that there was a 0.7 correlation between social connectedness and whether or not you're going to be successful in life. And 0.7 means seven times out of 10, it's going to accurately predict it. And to give you a, a, a context for that, by comparison, the correlation between smoking cigarettes and getting cancer is 0.44. So it's a very, very high correlation. And in my mind, when I combined how well or how poorly socially connected you are with your self-love, self-esteem, self-confidence, to me, that that's pretty close to 100% predictive of whether or not you're going to be successful. I, you know, going along with that, I recently read or heard a an, about a study that looked at longevity and social connectedness. And they found that people with a much higher social connectedness value, or in other words, more friends, tended to live seven years longer and healthier than those that did not have friends and they did not have that social connectedness. So people, it literally is your life to be socially connected and not, not social media connectedness. No, but actual friends that you get together with and do things with. Mm-hmm. Not that there's anything wrong with social media. I mean, I, some of my best friends in the world, I, I know virtually, like Jody and now you. You know, so I, the, the, the internet connection has been wonderful, but I agree with you. It's, it's always better if you can do it in person. Mm-hmm. Oh, I, I agree. I, I was lucky enough um, last month I went to Ireland. You know, I'm in Europe, so I can travel uh, to a lot of different places for n- not too expensive. So I went to Ireland for a weekend to meet four of my friends that I had made over the last three years on Instagram that all live in a certain city and met them for the first time in person. It was so much fun <laughs> to just go out to dinner with them and hang out and, and get to know them on a, on a social basis. Yeah, that's yeah, always fabulous. That's so cool. There's yeah. something about being in person. I mean, e- even when we're doing, like we're connecting right now via Zoom, and it's it's going out through StreamYard as well. But it, that with that virtual connection, you're all, you're still dealing with the fact that we're we're looking into monitors, we're talking into microphones. There's like little half second delays in what we're saying and so forth. And and so we we adjust to it. I mean, we handle it. But it's not the same level of spontaneity that you have when you're in the same room. I mean, if you got two people talking at once, it's not like you know, the technology is blotting one of you out. You still hear everybody, you know. So so all that dynamic that goes on when you're in the same place is different, and it's valuable. Oh, yeah. Even just watching people's um, body language and feeling into their energy when you're in the room, it's way easier to figure a person out, to connect with their heart, you know, like to see what's behind the eyes, I guess, um, a lot easier than on Zoom or, you know, through social media or something like that. You have to, I think, tap into yourself a little bit more over streams like this so you can tap into everyone else. Whereas in a room, if you're, you know, empathic or, you know, you're just connected to the energy that's around you, you can feel it and you're aware of it. When you're in a room with other people, it's, it's way more vibrant, like easy to spot. And, and I think that's why some people aren't socially or social beings is because they don't know how to deal with 
all of the data that their body, their brain, their eyes are collecting and it overwhelms them and they just got they got to get out. That's a good well, point. And there are there there that is a good point because there is a difference there there is a true scientific difference between introverts and extroverts. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's funny they tend to get married. Um <laughs> introverts truly get drained in social settings. Mm-hmm. It, it literally drains them of energy. While extroverts like myself get energy. Like I'm actually getting energy before this call. I was tired. I didn't sleep well last night and I was just, uh. but <laughs> as we go through the call, I'm getting excited and I'm feeling the energy. And even though we're not in the same room, I would be much more so if we were in the same room together. Mm-hmm. Whereas on the flip side, my wife is a introvert, true introvert. And after she spends time in a social setting or on a trip, with, even though it's visiting family, she gets home and crashes for two days straight because it, she is completely drained from mm-hmm. all the social interacting. And so there is that dynamic that people have to understand. It may be because they're an introvert or an extrovert, whether they're gaining or losing energy in social settings. But even with introverts and extroverts, they need that social social setting for longevity, for health, for mental um, mental health. It, it's just necessary. Mm-hmm. It's an interesting point because I naturally I am an introvert. I, I was very introverted when I was young. I have learned over the years to come out of my shell, so to speak. And for me, the virtual approach works great for the same reason that I was talking about before. I mean, it's a limitation, you know, doing it through the Zoom and, and cameras and all that kind of stuff. But there's also a benefit in that for somebody like me because it's easier to sort things out mentally. When it's like everything is a little bit more controlled. It's not as chaotic as you get when you're in a group situation. Not that I don't like the group situation. I've actually developed over the years to the point where I'm now feeling much more social when I'm in a group situation. Uh, but still, there's the background is still there. I mean, despite the fact that I have made a lot of progress, there's also the history, and the history hangs with you. It doesn't go away completely. It still informs what your experience is. But when you can when you can combine the two worlds together, which is what I feel like I do between doing the show and, and you know, real world socializing, it, it it actually gives the introverted person a way to come out of the shell and to become more of who they want to be socially. So oh, you can look at it both ways, really. I totally agree. I think the invention of the video conf- teleconference has really helped introverts to come out of their shell Yeah, because they don't have all that extra energy that they can't process when they're, when they're on the phone call. I think there's another thing too about being introverted uh, because you made reference to like your wife and you go to a, you know, a family gathering and she's drained afterward. And I know that feeling really well. I also know that whether or not I feel drained is going to be directly proportional to the conversation and who I'm conversing with. If the conversation is highly negative and highly tearing down and so forth, I have a lot of defenses in place now that I can handle that better, but that drains me so fast, no matter how mm-hmm. I look at it. It just drains me. Whereas if I'm in a conversation with people who are you know, like law of attraction people or something like that, I mean, I could do that for hours. And afterward, I'm flying. I'm in like, no, I don't need a plane. <laughs> hey, I, I can fly <laughs> without the plane. This is great. You know, so I think that also informs the, the situation, particularly for introverts. I imagine it also works the same way for extroverts, kind of in reverse in a sense. But I, I imagine that everybody has that kind of impact in terms of well, it does, it does. It does. And I think you've you've probably heard that, you know, you become like the five people that you hang out with the most. Mm. And so I definitely believe that, especially in with the law of attraction, you become like those the people that you hang out with. So if you hang out with negative people, guess what? You're probably going to end up negative. Mm. If you hang out with positive people, you're going to end up pretty positive looking at the positive side of life. If you hang out with rich people, you're probably going to end up rich. If you hang out with poor people, it's no surprise that you don't have any money. Um, 
the interesting thing with that is you can choose your group. And so yes. many people just just go with you know whoever's around them. It's taken us a while, but we've we realized that even with family and I love my family and my wife loves her family, even with family if there's somebody that's a poison person in your life, you you can choose not to have them be in your life. You know, you don't have to allow that negative energy to influence you. And and that's okay. People need to understand that self-care is mental care too. And if somebody is a negative influence in your life, you can't change them, but you can remove yourself from the situation. Mm-hmm. You certainly can. And it's healthy yeah. to do so. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. In fact, that's part of self-care right there is being willing to take that step. Because mm-hmm. if you don't, you're, you're, you're subjecting yourself and good luck. <laughs> it's not fun. <laughs> right. <laughs> now, there is another side of this too. Now, I, I was on uh, Tire Talk earlier, which is a podcast that's run by David Strickle, a friend of mine who also used to be here on the show, he is uh, kind of like um, Esther Hicks. He he channels the, the stream of David like she channels Abraham, and he's always a really fun conversation. Um, this was his podcast that we were doing, and we were, we were kind of talking about how um, we are influenced, particularly by our early lives. In his case, he grew up in a very dysfunctional family. His father pretty much was non-existent; disappeared from a very young age. His mom basically shut herself up in the in the bedroom from when he was age six, and he was left to his own devices. It was up to him how how was he going to live? How what was he going to eat for food? I mean, literally everything. He, wow. he lived on quote the wrong side of the tracks. The right side of the tracks was very wealthy, so he did have that influence if, if he wanted to reach out to it, which he did. But he basically came from a very highly dysfunctional and restricted background. And the way he tells the story is. He is so glad that that happened because if that had not happened, he doesn't think he could have learned how to deal with stuff. He doesn't think he could have learned how to channel, how to receive the messages that he was getting. He doesn't think he could have uh, have learned how to grow himself into a place to deal with with stuff that people consider to be everyday challenges. He thinks it was simply because he was thrown into this this crazy dysfunctional situation from birth. So I guess it depends on how you handle the situation, no matter what your situation is. Mm-hmm. How you choose to respond. Yeah. You've heard the story of the uh, the alcoholic dad has two sons and beats them, treats them poorly, um, dies. One son becomes ultra successful and says, I'm this way because I don't want to become like my dad. The other is a bum on the street and says, I'm this way because of my dad. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It's all on how you choose to respond. Yeah. That response Mm -hmm. is everything. I know for me, um, you know, my mom and I had a pretty tumultuous relationship growing up. Just we're always at each other's throats. And she was kind of negative and would pick on me and stuff like that. And my dad would always tell me, like, disconnect the button. And I couldn't figure it out. Like, how do you not get infuriated when somebody is picking on you or, like, you know, just trying to bother you or putting you down or whatever? That's the way that I had always felt when when we'd spend time together. So I'd be so frustrated. And he kept saying, Jody, you just got to disconnect the button. And um, I truly believe that, you know, when we change everything else changes. So I started to do that inner work with myself and that relationship. Like, why did it bother me so much? And just forgiving her. And and the change in our relationship has been crazy from that to like, they just went on vacation and she called me on Saturday. I actually live like five minutes away from their house. Um, But she called me on Saturday while they were on vacation. And she's like, we came home early because I saw you on the security camera and I missed you. from one to the other and she didn't do anything different but she is completely different now because i was able to you know heal that part of me and really stop reacting you know like she doesn't pick on me anymore because there's no reaction it's like okay whatever it doesn't bother me in the slightest and i think that's a huge thing for people too is the people that are closest to them 
they don't know how to disconnect that button and not have that reaction and then keep going through that negative cycle and pulling or allowing themselves to be pulled down by the people that are closest to them. I love that phrase, disconnect the button. Mm-hmm. That that's great because it, it points to the fact that that only we can change. Mm-hmm. We're reacting. We are working off our own assumptions, our own views, and our brains lie to us all the time. <laughs> right? <laughs> what we think we think is is a negative. You know, she's doing this to me on purpose. She hates me is, well, that's just how she was taught to interact with people by her parents. Mm -hmm. And there's nothing malicious in what she's doing. It's just her personality, right? So when you disconnect that button, when you disconnect yourself from those assumptions or that mental lie that, that your brain is telling you, you're able to see it from a different, different view. And the greatest thing is, as we change, and I've seen this in my life especially, as we change, as we improve, those around us do too. Mm-hmm. It's like it, it bleeds off of us, the law of attraction, right? The frequencies that we've changed in our life vibrate differently around those that are around us, and they change without actually realizing that they're doing it. Yeah. Because they're adjusting to our new frequencies. Mm-hmm. That, that, that's always exciting, no doubt about it. By the way, Jody, congratulations on making that change. Because those kinds of changes are hard changes to make. And you did it. Thank that's, you. You deserve a pat on the back for that. That's great. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. That is awesome. Thanks, Walt. I, I mean, it, it's... Um, it's been an incredible journey in that respect because we had such a hard time connecting and I had always felt really picked on. And, you know, that was something that I really struggled with for a long time in my life was a lot of frustration and anger towards my mom about this. And to go from that to, you know, last weekend, her telling me I came home because I miss you so much. Like she's one of my best friends now. Our relationship is completely different. And it just really supports exactly what you had said, Todd, when we change, we change those who are around us. And, and, you know, I use that a lot in my coaching is my relationship with my mom, because she didn't physically pick up a book and do anything physically. It was me. And everything changed uh, around us, which is so beautiful. Truly beautiful. That that is a beautiful story. And I think one thing we need to remember is we can only change ourselves. Because the moment we try to then take what we are learning and push it on the people around us, we end up having a negative effect. And and it actually pushes them away from the change. Mm -hmm. So we can only change ourselves. Mm-hmm. Hey, Jody, I got a question for you. Um, as you went through learning all that stuff about yourself and how to make your own changes and so forth, what role did appreciation play in that? Mm, huge. It was one of the very first things that I, I uh, identified was like missing in our relationship. If, if I was to look at our relationship and like what made me so angry is that I didn't feel appreciated. I didn't feel loved. I didn't feel seen or heard. I felt picked on um, from her. And for me, I always go back to what I learned in the radical forgiveness book. And I always pull out the radical forgiveness worksheet. I don't know if you guys have read that book. But they have free worksheets on their website. It's amazing. Basically, it just talks about how we call to other souls to learn whatever we need to learn in this lifetime. So the, you know, the things that we're going through over and over again, we're telling the universe to send us people to help us learn compassion or forgiveness or acceptance or, or whatever those things are, appreciation. And that was a really big thing was, uh, how am I doing this to myself? And I could see all the ways that I was mimicking her behavior to me directly, you know, like not appreciating myself and what I was doing and and not having any kindness for myself and picking on myself. All the things that she was doing to me 
were all simply a mirror of how I was treating myself. So I made a commitment to start appreciating myself and what that looked like. And that's always an evolution in itself, us, you know, taking care of ourselves, but doing those things that I felt were missing from her instead of seeking that from the outside world, I started to give it to myself. And once my cup was full, that's when she changed. That makes sense. I, I got that's a follow up though for you. Um, the, 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 we're, sure. we're getting into territory right now that's like super advanced territory, and I'm sure you're going to ace the test, but <laughs> nevertheless, this is super advanced stuff. The biggest challenge, I think, for anybody when it comes to learning how to incorporate appreciation into their own lives is also, and anyone who knows the TIA program will know where I'm going with this, uh, it's also learning to appreciate those things that we don't really appreciate all that much. Like, mm -hmm. like the TIA people call it appreciating transgressors. In other mm -hmm. words, events, people's experiences that we don't approve of, we don't like them, we, we don't want to have anything to do with them, they're just making our lives miserable and so forth. Learning to appreciate that is the hardest thing of all, I think. And I'm kind of curious mm -hmm. to know how that fit in with, with your journey with your mom. Oh, oh, okay, so I think maybe I have a different view uh, on this. Everything that I've been through in my life, whether I didn't agree with something that somebody did or, or something else like on, on those lines, maybe I didn't really agree that she was treating me in this way. I knew that it was my perception of, of what was happening in this scenario. So I tried to look at other perspectives. Like, was she really trying to cut me? Like not physically, but was she really trying to hurt me, to put me down, to belittle me or anything like that from a soul level or perspective or a heart perspective? And when I really took that step back and looked from heart to heart, no, she's not trying to hurt my feelings. I don't know why she's doing these things, but I appreciate she's been hurt in her life. And, you know, maybe that's a part of it. And I can appreciate that I know her heart and her heart is good. And that's what I believe about humanity as well. So I don't know if that answers your question. But I tried actually. to find a new perspective. That, I, I think you nailed it 100%. I told you you were going to ace the test. You did. <laughs> You got right. it. That's exactly right. You, because what you were describing <clears throat> is how you find there, there's always stuff in whatever it is we don't like that we can find to like. And you found mm -hmm. things to like. And, and in mm -hmm. finding things to like, you also found ways to let go of, the, of some things you didn't like. You, you, mm -hmm. you, you changed the way you thought about uh, you know, how she was supposedly hurting you. You thought about it differently. And just by thinking about it differently, it didn't feel like she was hurting you anymore. So, yeah, you were making the change. But you were doing it through an appreciation of her, which seemed probably when you're first starting out, that w that probably seemed impossible. I know it's for me, it felt impossible the first time I tried to do something like that. But you can learn to do it. It just yeah. takes sticking to it. Absolutely. And I think the desire to want to see it like I wanted a relationship with her that was better than what we had. And I, I wanted I have this great desire or a great belief in humanity that our hearts are good. Our souls are good. Sometimes we just do shitty things, <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I can look at that, that soul perspective or that heart level and say, no, they weren't trying to be malicious or hurtful. And 99.9% .9 of the time that is true where they didn't, they're not intentionally trying to, you know, mess with you or, or hurt you. It's just kind of a, a temper tantrum or, or something that's coming out and they don't know how to control it. And that's the best that they've got in that moment. And I can appreciate that because I've been there before. I've, I've found so often that people, when they're treating you like that, it's because really they want to treat themselves like that. Mm -hmm. That's how they're thinking about themselves. And it's just mirroring onto you. Mm -hmm. 100%. That's it. I agree. We're all hurt little children. I went through trauma and just trying to figure it out, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, hopefully we get to the point where we're no longer hurt little children. That's the whole well, point, Well, yes. Right? <laughs> we evolved past that. So I was thinking, uh, I, I mentioned earlier we were going to try to do a little Q&A. Um, so let me bring that in to the program at this point. Uh, Todd, what we, we normally do here, sometimes we get, we get emails from listeners, and so obviously we'll do those um, as priority, but uh, today we don't have that. So I, I just go out usually on, on social media channels, go to groups where you know people are raising problems, and grab something that's interesting, and then bring it in here for us to address as if that person were asking us. So if you're up for it, let's play a little Q&A. It's lots of fun, Todd. <laughs> I, I'm always up for anything. 
<laughs> well, this, this is also going to be able to give you a chance to show everybody just how good of a coach you are. So th this is like an audition, really. <laughs> oh, he's covering his face. <laughs> okay, so here's the first one. This is a fairly simple one. Um, the person says, I'm in my 20s and just now realizing um, that I've grown up around a lot of passive-aggressive people. In turn, I've become, surprise, surprise, passive-aggressive. I hold on to anger and have the worst communication skills. So what can you give me as advice for dealing with this? Very good question. Because I think a lot of us have either suffered through that or been around people that... I think that tends to be the norm in society is we bottle things up and become passive-aggressive towards those around us. The first step is one, recognizing that, that you've become that way. Um, recognition is always the first step. Now, the second step is you have to give yourself grace. You have to recognize that, yeah, you're not going to be perfect. You are going to have times where you are passive-aggressive and you can't be upset about those times. Let the past go. Let the past be in the past. How do you change it going forward? And that's always the big question. How do you change it going forward? So first off, I would start with having having you write down a description of who you want to be. What kind of communications do you want to have? What kind of, um, not personality so much, but expressiveness in your personality do you want to have? Write it down in as much detail as you can possibly think of and read that every morning be before you start your day for 21 days and see if that, and then read it again before you go to bed. Re because when you put it on paper and then you read it out loud, one, putting it on paper makes it real. You're recognizing what you have do done in the past, but you're saying, I'm leaving the past in the past and I'm going to change. And I'm changing today. This is the new me. And so you read it to yourself in the morning, read it to yourself at night, and then you focus on it. And throughout the day, you can reflect, how did I respond to this situation? How did I respond to this situation? Oh, I'm not, I, I'm, I'm holding emotions in too much. I'm being too quiet. Okay. I commit to the next time somebody asks me a question, I'll respond immediately. And you only, you don't focus on, I'm, you don't, when you're going throughout the day, you don't focus on the end goal of being, you do that when you're reading your paper. During the day, you focus on each individual situation. You be in the moment and you just respond, how do I want to respond now to this situation? So a lot of work, um, the best thing you can do is for, for that is to get into meditation or study about living in the moment and being present. Because when you're present, then you can actually focus and change your reactions. Hope that helps. That's good. Yeah. Want to go for Jody? Yeah, sure. I love. I really love what you you said, Todd. Um, I I'm on the along the same lines. I think the first step, like Todd said, acknowledge. Um, and I would put a twist in here as well because I think. We always do things because there's a benefit to us. So what is the benefit or what is the perceived benefit that you're getting from being passive aggressive? Is there a belief system that you carry or that you're holding that I can't speak my truth because I won't be liked? I won't, you know, nobody will listen to me. They'll yell at me, whatever it is. Finding that, that root belief system that is 
causing you to be passive aggressive because you're doing it because you believe that is the best way or that's what you've learned is the best way. And then really needling down into what would be a better way to say it. For me, um, you know, early on in, in my twenties, my early twenties, I was in a, you know, verbally abusive relationship. And, um, in that relationship, I started to kind of like turtle. I didn't, I didn't say how I felt. I didn't, you know, stick up for myself. I was, um, like gaslit. What? I don't know, like all of the things, but I just, I didn't have a voice anymore because what would happen is I would try to voice something that I'm afraid of or, you know, angry about or whatever. And it would be the explosion of the century. And I was fearful at that time. So I had to really learn how to communicate after that. So something I always do when I'm communicating and things are tough to stay, say is I take a moment to identify what is it that I'm feeling and why I'm feeling that way. So I don't respond right away all the time because, you know, sometimes if I were to respond in that moment, it might not be what I actually want to say. So I want to be reflective on what I'm feeling and what I need to say. And then the way that I did it for myself to start having these bolder conversations or actually telling my truth is I started with people who I felt safe with you know, and started with uncomfortable conversations that I could baby step into so I could gain more confidence and more ground that way. And, um, and, and learning, you know, where I kind of falter or, you know, where I'd fall back into old patterns, patterns, just like you were saying, Todd, this reflection of, you know, how did I show up and how could I show up or how do I want to show up better tomorrow? And, and with all of it, just love and grace, for me as I go through the process of learning to communicate better. I love that. Really good. Yeah. Yeah. You guys are a tough act to follow. I have to tell you. (laughs) 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 Well, actually I'm not going to create anything new here. I'm just going to tie in what we talked about before. Cause I think it really just ties together what both of you said. Cause we were talking about social connectedness and we're talking about self-esteem and we're talking about how important they were. So I'm going to bring them in and say, first of all, You've been hanging around with passive aggressive people. Well, who do you want to hang around with instead? Yeah. No, get out Todd's piece of paper and on the piece of paper, I'll turn it over on the back side and make a list of all the kinds of characteristics of people you want to hang out with that are not passive aggressive. What are they? If they're not passive aggressive, what are they? How do they behave? When you talk with them, how do they treat you? You know, mm-hmm. what, what, what's their general philosophy of life? How do they approach things? You know, what, what is it you enjoy about hanging out with them? Think about the, who that, that kind of person is and make a very clear list about it. And then in terms of your own growth, I mean, well, if you follow what uh, Todd and Jody said, you're going to grow like crazy anyway. But take it a further step and ask yourself, who do I want to be? Yeah. So now on the other side of the, of the back side of the piece of paper, make another column. Here's all my characteristics of who I want to be, what kind of person I want to be. Mm-hmm. What, what, you know, how do I want to be perceived by others? Do I want to be perceived as tough? Do I want to be perceived as kind? Do I want to be perceived as passive aggressive? I mean, what do you, what do you, what's it going to be? You know, make a list, identify mm-hmm. your characteristics, the ones that you want to be. And when you do Todd's exercise, reading back that same list every day, flip it over and, and read those lists too. Do all of them, do all of them at once. So basically you're working on both things at the same time. You're working on yourself and you're working on your circle of friends. Do all these things that we talked about here. My God, your life will turn around so fast. It'll make your head spin. Right. And- one one just little addition to that is just make sure you write it in present tense as though it's already happened mm. because that is what really brings the power of of the written word into fruition is when you write it as though it's already happened and you read it back in the present tense your subconscious will start to believe it, believe it your subconscious can't tell whether something is happening now or happen or going to happen if it's real or not it believes what you tell it that's why kids especially are, can be easily manipulated with uh because the their brains are still developing but everybody's subconscious can be taught and trained and it's something that we can do to ourselves we can change the way we think literally and if we do what Jody and Walt and I have said, you can change your life mm-hmm. 180 degrees. 
And it's fast, too. That's the other thing that's really interesting. When we make the changes in ourselves, it doesn't take long. Mm-hmm. No. I mean, it's pretty, pretty darn quick. In fact, it can be scary how quick it is. Mm-hmm. Real quick, case in point. So my wife and I decided, and that's the key word there, we decided to cut sugar and flour out of our diet December 1st. Ooh, congratulations. And it was a decision. We were like, you know what? This is a red line. We're not going to cross it. Um, we're, we're cutting this out of our diet. Since December 1st, I have lost 34 pounds and my wife has lost 30. Wow. All from just the decision. And you know what we haven't missed? Sugar. And you know what I am? I'm a sugar addict and I know it. But that decision... It makes it easy. I don't even have to think about it because it's a one-time decision that's like, this is a red line. We're not going to cross it anymore. Done. And that switch flipped in the in my brain that even though I know I'm a sugar addict, I don't desire the sugar anymore. Mm-hmm. Wow. I like that. And, and I actually have direct experience with my wife on the other side of that because if you don't make the decision, you don't do it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, I mean, you just don't. I mean, you, you could try to convince yourself you're going to kind of do it a little bit, but it doesn't work because in the back of your mind, there's like, no, no, I, I'm not ready to give up the sugar. I'm going to I'm going to have my chocolate. Forget it. <laughs> I, I wrote down a phrase earlier before the call that I think is perfect for this. It said, um, if you give a person what they need to change that wants to change the information they need, the person can choose to act and change or fail to choose and remain in place. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And, and that's, that's really what the essence of coaching is because the coach can't actually make the change. The only person right. who can make the change is the, per- the person they're coaching. And the only thing that the coach can do is give them the information to let them decide whether they're going to make the change. The coach can't even make the decision. Mm-hmm. Nope. <laughs> you can bring the horse to water, but you can't make them drink. That's right. It's up to oh. the horse. Are, are, how thirsty are you, horse? <laughs> yeah. How badly do you want to change? That's you right. can only drown the horse, but that doesn't help it change. <laughs> <That's right. laughs> now you got a dead horse. <laughs> <laughs> now you got a serious problem. <laughs> yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, this oh, has been a lot of fun. Tide, before we go, we got to get some information from you because, okay. first of all, there are going to probably be people who are interested in what you're doing. So we got to tell them how to reach out and find you. And secondly, we also got to find out how to find your podcast, what the name of it is, and all that kind of stuff. So, like, tell people about the podcast, how to find you, how to find out about the coaching program, all that good stuff. Okay, very easy. The podcast is Todd Talks Design Your Best Life. So it's like TED Talks. But uh, it's on Apple, Spotify, everywhere that podcasts are available. But, yeah, you do have to put Todd Talks and then design. Otherwise, there's a couple of other Todd Talks out there that oh. had um, had been started and they got like four or five episodes in, but they still pop up. So as soon as you put Todd Talks design for Design Your Best Life, then mine's the first one that pops up. And... Uh, so, yeah, like I said, about 105 episodes, uh, 106 episodes uh, in so far. For the coaching, it's fireandicementoring.com, uh, all one word. And you can also email me at toddtalksllc at gmail.com. Uh, and I can get back to to people with that. So, and there's a book, too, isn't there? There is a book, and it's available for sale on the website through Amazon, but we've got it linked in the website to uh, to link to Amazon. And uh, it's called Fire and Ice, and it's the spiritual journey that I went through when teaching the Afghans how to fly. Uh, so I incorporated uh, stories and spiritual journey together. So fire, that's where fire and ice comes from. Fire in my soul from learning and building myself spiritually. Ice in my veins from daily interaction with people trying to kill me. Not on purpose. <laughs> That's the key. They didn't do it on purpose. It was a interesting time. Now you just create a nice little wrinkle in people's minds so they want to go read the book to find out what the heck you're talking about here. This is, this is mm-hmm. well done here. Nice marketing, I have to say. Good job. <laughs> <laughs> no problem. 
So, 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 Jody, how did we do with uh, Q and A this week? Did it match last week? Oh, I think it was awesome. It was so good, and it was so nice to have you here for your perspective, Sean. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. It's been fun. Do you guys want to hear something really crazy, like synchronistic crazy, sure. before we end here? Yeah. Yeah, Todd, yeah. you're good. So I'm a part of um, um, Podmatch. That's how I found Walt and, mm-hmm. and, you know, how we connected and everything. And earlier this week, I think, it's Wednesday, right? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what day is this, anyway? <laughs> uh, uh, what day is this? I got an email from Podmatch, and it was like, oh, hey, you know, you might – click really well with this podcaster. And I, I was like, oh, yeah, I read all of the details. Really amazing. I thought, oh, yeah, I definitely want to reach out to this individual. And just left the, the thing open on, on my Google. And you know who it is, Todd? Me? It's you. <laughs> I just looked. It's Todd, Todd Cox. I'm like, when you said that, I was like, wait a minute. I just saw this just recently. And I opened it up behind our, our Zoom screen. And sure enough, it's you. <laughs> Thank you. I, I have been really enjoying. I just signed up for Podmatch four days ago or amazing. five days ago. And I am already connecting with some amazing people and yeah. really enjoy getting to know you guys. Hope to get to know you more and not just have this be a one off, but uh, would love to uh, talk with you guys again sometime. Yeah, it was meant to be. I would say. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm. Good stuff. Well, thank you for being on the program. Thank you, Jody Lynn, as usual. You're you're wonderful. And uh, thank you to our podcast listeners everywhere. We'll see you all next time here on LOA Today. Goodbye, everybody. Music.